Good morning. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning and that we can be in God's house together and open his word together this morning. I want to offer a special endorsement, being musically inclined as I am. If you've ever stood next to me, you know that's a lie. The Behold the Lamb is one of our favorite things that happens here for my family throughout the course of the year. We've been holding off listening to it to this point, but I would encourage you, if you've never been, please take the opportunity and come out for Behold the Lamb uh, that's coming up here. It's a great time together and with a huge gathering of our church family as well. And uh, a couple years ago, we did the the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center as one of our, our projects during the course of the year. And I think Skeet and I had the privilege of taking a couple truckloads of stuff over to them. You have never seen people beam over simple things that they can use to bless and help other people, as those ladies at the Crisis Pregnancy Center did that day. So please... Mark that uh, on your calendar. Be a part with us in that. It's a simple thing to do that blesses people multi-steps away from your family when you do that. So I'd like to uh, encourage you guys to be a part with that as well. Let's open our, before we open our Bibles, let's open in a word of prayer this morning. Lord God, I thank you that you are with us, you are watching us, Lord, that you are a part of our lives and that you have a plan for us, Lord. And I just pray this morning as we open your word that we would see from your word anew what you have in store for us, Lord. How you want us to be when we leave this place, how you want us to be different, Lord. I pray, Father God, that as we open your word that you would speak mightily to us and that we would leave this place different than how we came. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a family who lived on a farm. The farm was large, and the farmer had a number of hired hands who helped to tend to the crops and the other chores on the farm. When it came time for the harvest, and the farmer needed more help in the fields, so he called his family together for breakfast one day, and he told his two sons that he needed more help to come and bring in the harvest. The older son answered his father quickly, and said that he was not a farmhand and that he had no intention of working in the fields. The farmer's younger son said that he would go right out after breakfast and he would be happy to help. Well, the day wore on, and that night they all gathered back at the dinner table, and the farmer was curious to see how everybody in the family had spent their day. The older son told his father that after breakfast he had reconsidered what he had said, and because he loved his father, he went out to help the hired men to bring in the crops. The younger son was a bit embarrassed. He had to tell his father that he had been willing to go out and help, but after breakfast, a few things came up, and he never really quite made it out into the fields, although it had been his intention all along to do so. I think that in our lives, day by day, we fall into those categories. There's things that that at first we hear and and they come across our paths and we bristle at them and we back off from them. And then if God gets a hold of our our hearts and if we, we realize that if it's God's desire and if we love him, that we will follow through, even though our our first reaction is to maybe push back like the older son. And then there are other things that that we look at and we say, it's my intention to do this, but we never 
follow through with action. And intentions are good, but actions are something completely different. The story's not original, the story's not true, but it's a story that Jesus told in a parable one day in the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32, Jesus tells the story of the two brothers, and one has the desire to go and or says that he will not go to the fields and then goes, and one has the intention to go and never goes. And after Jesus tells the story to the religious leaders in the temple, he says, which of the two sons truly did the will of the father? Is it the one that had the intentions or the one that followed through with actions, even though his initial reaction was poor? And the religious leader said, it was the first. It was the one who, who changed his mind. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of the righteous, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed in him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. So Jesus says, we have this group of of religious leaders, this group of people that are so proud of their piety, and then we have sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. and, and, And one of them is in tune with what God desires for them. And the other is not. And the one that is in the group that is in tune with what the Father asks of them are, are the tax collectors because they, they see what God's desire is and they change the way they act and they change what they do. And Jesus says those are the ones that we should emulate. I think God's desire is, is that we first encounter him. That second, we understand that God has given us a great gift of love, demonstrated by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Third, that we begin a relationship with him. And fourth, that the relationship we have with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ would cause changes in our actions as well as our intentions in life. I like to think of it this way. Our thoughts and our intentions and our actions should follow a pattern. First, God gets things into our head, and and it's knowledge, and it's the knowledge of what God wants us to do. And if it impacts us beyond that, it, it flows to our heart. And God changes our heart and our intentions But then he also wants it to come out in our hands and change our actions as well. In other words, what we should do is, because uh, we should have thoughts that become intentions and actions that we actually do something about. And it's easy to sit in church week after week and day after day and to hear what God's desire is for our lives, to hear God's challenge and to say, that's a great idea, I'm going to go out this week and I'm going to be different. But if it never comes out in the way we act, then it's just a good intention. And God looks at us and he he looks at our actions and our intentions And he judges whether they are good or bad. If you go all the way back to the story of Noah, 
in the Old Testament. It's, it's Genesis chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. I think most of you know the story of Noah. That God has created the world and mankind has sort of run rampant throughout the world. And, and it's not, they're not pleasing to God anymore. And God comes to Noah and he says, I'm going to send a flood and I'm going to wipe out everything. We're going to start fresh. And Noah, you and your family are the only ones I'm going to save. But at the beginning of the story, it says this, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. That's talking about his actions. The things that people were doing were greatly wicked. And that every intention of their thoughts, of their heart, was only evil continually. See, that's how I know that God, God judges not only what we do, but he also judges what we think. And God judges what we think and our intentions, but he also judges what we do. And he has a desire to get a hold of both of those pieces of us. He has a desire to get a hold of our intentions and to have our hearts lean towards his and move in the same way that he is moving and to have the same thoughts that are his thoughts and have the same disposition towards people that is his disposition towards people. But he also has a desire that we act on the things that he has placed into our hearts. In the world today, oftentimes people's intentions are considered just as important as their actions. Well, he meant to do the right thing. His heart was right, whether or not they ever do anything about it or not. And I don't believe that that's the way God looks at us. I believe that God truly has a desire for us to have good intentions and to also act on them. In about 1100 A.D., St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, The road to perdition is paved with good intentions. I had several people come up to me after the first service and say, Man, I was raised in Catholic school, and that got beat into us literally every single day. The road to perdition or hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions are fine, but unless they're followed by actions... They're not effective. Often as followers of Jesus Christ, we find it easier to desire to follow Christ's words or commands than to actually do something. I think that's true for just about everybody. In the book of James, he says this. He says, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? You can have all the great intentions you want and make all the plans that you want, but unless we follow through with actions, they don't have much effect. So with that in mind, I want to look at today's radical, or I would say maybe uncomfortable teaching of Jesus Christ in this series of He Said What. And then we're going to talk about seven different things that are part of the one big one that Jesus says. And at first, on the surface, you say, those aren't really so radical, but I want you to think about if they actually played out in your life, how radically different you would be. How radically different your life would be and how you would act differently. So today's he said what statement is in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24 says this, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word 
that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So first of all, Jesus says, I'm giving you a word that's straight from God the Father, and I want you guys to listen up to it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. I think Jesus' instructions are pretty clear here. It's a single instruction. Keep my word. Listen to the things I'm saying to you and do them. And has an easily understood reason. It's because, he says, if you love me, you will do this. Sometimes we think of God as just this, this being in heaven, and Jesus is he's walking here on earth, that just gave us a whole list of instructions. And Jesus kind of clarifies that right here, and he says, listen, guys, what I'm asking you to do as we're walking around, as we're talking, he's talking to his disciples, as we're walking and talking and doing all this learning together, as I'm trying to share with you the heart of God the Father, what I want you to understand is I'm not just giving you a whole new set of rules, because the... Old Testament guys had been great with that already. We've got all the commandments and all the Levitical law and everything in the Old Testament. And you have plenty of rules already. That's not what I'm saying to you guys. Jesus said, what I'm saying to you is, if you love me, you will do what I'm asking you to do. It's not just a new set of rules. It's not just a new set of stuff for you to obey. It's a demonstration of your love for me. And the reason that Jesus puts it that way is because many of the things in Jesus' words pit our two natures against each other. We have this nature of human nature, and we have this nature as trying to do what God wants us to do. And they're at battle with each other a lot of the time. You know, every cartoon in America over the last however many years they've been making cartoons has that one episode with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, and they're talking into the guy's head. And that is really true in our lives a lot of the time. I have desires, God has desires. Which one do I listen to? And you can choose because that's what you think you want to do, or you can choose because you know that God loves you, and he demonstrated that by sending Jesus Christ to die for you, and therefore you will do what he asks you to do as a demonstration of your love back to him. And I love this this little passage here because it's it's... An if-then-and-and-and statement. It has an if, it has a then, and then it has three tack-ons on the end of that. So let's look at that for a second. If anyone loves me, if you love me, you will do something. An if statement without a then statement sort of lost. So if you love me, that's the basis, then you will keep my words. But then I love what comes after that. And my Father will love them. And we will come to them. And we will make our home with them. Do you get this? Jesus doesn't just say this stuff. Here's a new set of rules. He says, this is a demonstration of your love. And when you demonstrate your love to me this way, then this is going to build the relationship that you have with me and with the Father. This is going to change you in your relationship with God. But we need to make sure that the reason for our actions is always not to get more, but to love God more. He says, if you love me, you will do this. It will be a demonstration of your love for me. So as we 
put that as a background, I want to look at it's seven different things that, that Jesus says, words of Jesus that he wants us to obey that will demonstrate our love for him. Now, it's not by any means an exhaustive list. As a matter of fact, it's a very, very small list. Does anybody know how many times Jesus commands something in the New Testament? Good, me either, but it's a bunch. But we're just going to look at seven this morning. But they kind of fall into some categories for me. So so hang with me as we go through these seven things that Jesus tells his disciples, these words that he gives to his disciples. The first two, they're all in the book of Matthew, by the way. So you want to flip open to the book of Matthew. The first two of the things that Jesus gives his disciples concern relationships with other people. The first one is Matthew 5, 44. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Of all the things we're going to look at this morning, this is probably one of the ones that you say, "Mm, that is really maybe kind of difficult. The other ones don't seem quite so big, maybe, on the surface. But I look at this, and I, as I examine this, this whole thing about we're supposed to love our enemies. How does that play out? See, because the word love can, can mean a lot of different things. You know, love can be, can be an attitude. I love puppies. There's not a puppy out there that I don't love. It's just an attitude. We have this feeling about something. You know, we, we feel that we love puppies. Okay. And there are different things in different people's lives. If you don't love puppies, we need to talk later. But that's a whole other thing. It's also an emotion. Love is clearly an emotion. I, I, I love my wife. I love my kids. But I don't think that's what, what Jesus is, is talking about here. See, love is also a verb. Love is an action word. And when Jesus says you're to love your enemies, he doesn't mean that you should have this nice vision of enemies as like puppies. And he doesn't mean that it's just an emotion, but it means that it's an action. We should actively show those that are our enemies that we love them. I believe truly we should even maybe pursue them. But it's not because of anything except for the fact that we love Jesus, that we do this. See, if we have to wait for us to gin this all up inside ourselves out of our own desire, it's going to be difficult. But if we know that that doing these things shows our love for Jesus Christ, then it gets a little more palatable and a little easier. And as a matter of fact, Jesus modeled this very thing for us. In uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, We were enemies, or while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Get this? Jesus doesn't say we're just a bunch of lost sheep that he sent a shepherd to corral. We'll get a little more sheep and shepherds here in a minute. But he says, what were we when God sent Jesus Christ? We were his enemies. God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think Jesus gives us something really practical in this verse, too. He says that we're to pray for our enemies. 
The action of prayer has great power to change our attitudes and the intentions of our hearts. It's been said that that when we're praying for someone, it's very difficult to act just in our own nature towards them. That if you want to change your intentions towards people, if you, you should begin with praying for them. The second word of Jesus that I want to look at this morning is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule. Some other Catholic school people came to me this morning and said, yeah, the road to perdition is paved with good intentions, and the nuns would use the golden ruler to beat it into us. But the golden rule is pretty simple. It says that all of the Old Testament and its rules and its regulations and all that can be summed up and can be kind of condensed and simplified down to this. All of us as human beings want what's good for us. That's who we are. We want what is good for us. And this passage tells us whatever you want for you, that's how you should treat others. And it keeps us from viewing other people as, as second-class people. I think when, when Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets, you know, the, the religious leaders of the Old Testament viewed themselves as so much better, and even the New Testament in the temple when Jesus would walk around, viewed themselves as so much better than everybody else around. And if only people could act like them, everything would be fine. And Jesus says, this sums it all up. You know how you want to be treated, that's how you should treat other people. And some of you are out there saying, this is not that difficult a concept. Until it goes from intentions to actions. And that's when it gets tough. The third and fourth words that Jesus gives us that I want to look at this morning are concern uh, our intentions towards God. The first ones were our relationships with others. The next two are our intentions towards God. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're saying, oh, that's such a difficult thing to do. Really? Get yoked to Jesus is a difficult thing? Yeah, it is. You know why? Because it goes against everything that we believe in as people. Understand that through relationship with Jesus Christ, we have Almighty God as a partner and helper. We have that opportunity. But it involves this yoke. It involves being tied to a yoke for oxen back in the day that Jesus was speaking here. was a hoop that went under the oxen's neck. And then it had a bar that went across the top of his neck. And onto that bar, they would tie whatever wagon or plow or whatever they needed to be pulled by the strong oxen. And if you really had something difficult to do, you would put two oxen in a yoke. And it would be two hoops that their necks went through with one bar across the top, and they would be able to pull it together. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, And you will find rest 
I think that's something that's really difficult for a lot of us. See, when the yoke goes on two oxen to start with, they have a choice to make. They can either work together and go in the same direction, or what frequently happens, especially until they get trained properly, is they try and go in two different directions, and things get worse instead of better. And so when Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke upon you, and I want you to learn from me, and I want you to take rest in me, and I want you to understand that, that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not saying that, that all your troubles will go away. He said he will share in those, and he will help us with those, and we will be tied to Almighty God and all the benefits that come with that. And therefore, when we are yoked to him, we can fight against it or we can rest in it. See, me and God together can do just about anything. Me and God tied together and me bucking against God can do nothing. So he says, take my yoke upon you and find rest. If we love God, we'll trust and depend on him and stop trying to be God ourselves. And stop trying to just pull in a direction that we think is right. Are you willing this morning to say that I want to get tied to God and let him be the lead in this whole thing and I'm just going to go along with him? See, I even get this picture. Instead of the two oxen, right, and they're, they're two huge animals that can, can do all this and together they can do even more than they can do separate. You know, if you take one oxen, he may be able to pull 1,000 pounds and if you take two oxen, they may be able individually to pull 2,000 pounds. But you know what happens if you put those two oxen together? They can pull like 3,000 pounds together. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but it's a fact. Old farmers will tell you that. But I get this picture of this. It's not just me having to pull my 1,000 pounds and God pulls his 1,000 pounds. This is the picture I have in my head. There's that double bow with a bar across the top. And one side of that is firmly fixed around God and he's pulling this thing. And I'm just sort of sitting in the other one and going along for the ride. But that means I have to be willing to go where he wants to go. That means I have to be willing to do what he wants to do. That means that he is going to be the one that directs where we're going. You're willing to depend on God or are you just still trying to be God yourself? The fourth one I want to look at this morning is one that, that uh, Brian Pollan talked about a few weeks ago. He did a whole sermon on that, and I encourage you to go back and get the, the full deal. I'm going to give you a quick cliff note this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Why is that so difficult? Because that, again, goes against everything that is our human nature. Are you willing to trust God's plan? Are you willing to believe in God's payment? Are we willing to rest in his yoke and be partner with him? There are people all throughout this world, and there are people sitting in this room this morning, that although I can stand up here and say that when Jesus died on the cross, and he looked up at God the Father in heaven, and he said, to tell us it is finished, he was saying it's paid in full. The blood that I'm shedding here will pay for all the sins of mankind. All we need to do is ask him to be our Savior, and we will be saved. 
And there are people sitting here this morning say, I've heard that, and as soon as I can get this all together and earn my way and straighten out my life, then I know that God will accept me, and that's not what the Bible says. It says the road is very narrow. The good thing is, the road is already paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not about what you can do that's going to earn your way into heaven. That's not it at all. Are we willing to trust God's plan? Are we willing to believe God's payment? And are we willing to rest in God's yoke? The fifth and sixth words that Jesus gives us that we're going to look at this morning are from the same verse. But they concern our intentions and our actions moving forward from where we are today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Care more about God's desire for your life than your desire for your life. One of my favorite books is a book written, it's a little book, and it's written by uh, Philip Keller, who was a shepherd in Australia for years, and he wrote A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. But the best book he ever wrote was called A Shepherd's, uh, or Lessons from a Sheepdog. It's a story of, of him taking this dog that he finds that's abused and tied up, and it's a sheepdog, and now he's running on the fields, and it's tied up in this old lady's yard. And he comes, and he rescues the dog, and he takes the dog, and he feeds the dog, and he befriends the dog, and he teaches the dog how to work the sheep. And it's a natural thing for the dog, and the dog wants to do it, and he wants to please the shepherd, and he just wants to get out there and help herd the sheep, because that's what's natural inside him. Once he gets away from all the abuse in the yard and all the stuff that's been, been thrust upon him. But Keller talks about in that book that when he shepherded out in the outback and there were sheep in this huge, vast wilderness out there that they shepherded them among, the, the most important thing for the sheepdog was to always keep an eye on the shepherd and not necessarily the sheep. Because the shepherd could look at the sheep because he sat on a horse, which made him considerably taller than the dog who's on the ground. And the shepherd could point and the shepherd could give command and the shepherd could tell the sheepdog where to go and what he could do to rescue the sheep that may have gotten themselves entangled into some kind of mess in a bramble bush or heading towards a cliff or heading towards danger of some sort. And so the most important thing was that the sheepdog would keep an eye on the shepherd and trust the shepherd even though he couldn't actually see what he was getting himself into. And if the shepherd told the dog to go to the right and into that set of bu- that pack of bushes over there that may be full of stickers and thorns and branches that are going to be a little bit tough to get through, he would do it anyway because he trusted the shepherd and he trusted his perspective. And that's the lesson that we need to learn as well. That we need to be willing to to take and, and seek after the perspective of God. And even though sometimes it may be difficult for us, even though sometimes that may be leading us to things that are uncomfortable, that we're going to get cut up and beat up a little bit going into, know that his perspective is different, higher, and better. And it's always for the benefit of the sheep and the dog. Seek first the kingdom of God. The dogs don't necessarily want to run into a bramble bush unless they know that the shepherd's in control. And then it says to seek his righteousness. 
See, God's view of what is right is certainly different than the world's view of what is right, and it's often different than our view of what is right. And the way you discover that is by spending time in God's Word and understanding the character of God and understanding the perspective of God. You willing to seek after His righteousness or just what you think is right in your own eyes? The seventh word I want to look at this morning that comes from Jesus Christ concerns the way we look at ourselves. And it's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. It says this, it shall, be this uh, it shall not be so among you, but whoever should be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You know, as human beings, it's our desire to look out for ourselves first. As human beings, it's our desire to take care of ourselves first. And God's very, very clear. Jesus was very, very clear when he said, however you want to be treated, that's how you treat other people. And and that you have God's perspective and let him be calling the shots and and go with his direction and not worry so much about the details, but but trust him and get yoked to him. And when you do, it's it's easy and, and he'll take the load. And he will carry you and he will help you and together you will do much and you will serve others. Whoever's going to be great among you must be a servant and a slave. See, servants have masters and servants have jobs. And that's what this all comes down to. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my words. If you love me, you will keep my commands. He is the master. We are the servants. It is our job to do what he says. And to not pave our own wide road, but go down Jesus' narrow road. To tie ourselves and be yoked to him. And go along and pull together with him. Instead of bucking against him. You know, this morning, I want to just sum up by saying this. I don't think there's any doubt of how much God loves us. The Bible says that he demonstrated his love for us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he asks us that we love him back by doing what he asks us to do. Most of the time it's contrary to our nature, but we need to do it anyway. It's our demonstration of love back to Jesus Christ. If we do it anyway. And in order to do that, I think you need to plan for it. You need to commit to it. And most importantly, we need to take action. And this is one I want to end on this morning is this. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And it's great to say, I understand what God wants, and it's my intention, but what are we going to do about it? The New Testament is full of instructions that Jesus has given us. I took seven of them this morning. They're on this little handout that's in your program this morning. I hope everybody got one on the way in. Because we're going to pause for just a few minutes here. I'm going to ask the band to come back forward. They're going to play a little bit. What I'm asking you to do is prayerfully consider this. What is it that you know? Because I've been praying all week that God would, would point up into each one of our lives Something this week that we know that is God's intention for us, it is God's desire for us, it is God's word for us this morning. 
that we get a hold of today. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's two things, maybe it's all seven of these things on this list, maybe it's something else that God's just bringing to your mind that's not on this list. But my desire right now is that we all just pause before him and ask God what his desire is for us as we leave here today. What is, what is his desire for us, not just in intention, not just in theory, but in action? What does he want you to do as you leave this place today that is going to demonstrate your love for him? I hope it's a little bit uncomfortable. I hope you'll also be listening to God. And know that when we do that, it draws us closer to him. Remember that if, then, and, and, and thing? The ands are, we'll grow closer to him. It's a demonstration of our love for him, but it also makes us closer to him. So I want to just ask you to pause, to pray, to consider for a moment here while the band plays. What is it that God is calling you to do as an action step going forward from here today? They're going to play for a little bit, then we'll sing, and then we'll wrap things up.